Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by financial ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Hello and welcome. Come one, come all. Step right in. You've made it to the China shop. I'm shopkeeper Dan and with me as always is Kyle, creator of financialineptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great. Finally, finally, we're going to get to this beginner options that we've been promising for so long. The introduction to options episode has arrived. Welcome. Oh, it's an exciting day. And uh, to, to switch things up, uh, we've got Christopher Borman, who's going to be joining us uh, as a part of a Q&A session at the end here. We're going to go through the terms uh, without him. We'll bring him in for the last half. Yeah, yeah, he's behind the curtain. He can't hear us. He's waiting. So he won't know the answers to the questions when we ask him. No, he's going <laughs> to ask us questions. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, so let's lead things off here, Kyle. There are a lot of terms when it comes to options trading that uh, have no place in regular stock trading. So there's a lot of stuff uh, that w we need to go over here. Well, let's just start with the, you know, right at the beginning, you know, what is an actual option? What is an op when someone says they're buying options, what does that mean? What are, what are they buying? What are they buying? They are buying a contract also referred to as a coupon sometimes that gives the person who who has it the right but not the obligation to buy or sell a stock at a predetermined price uh, each each contractor coupon is worth uh, 100 shares of the underlying security or stock is for 100 shares yeah they're traded similar to stocks but they have an expiration date there's an actual date on the coupon that says uh, it's after this date this coupon's no, no longer valid and then there's also a strike price for each contract that you're purchasing. So there's there's two main components. Yes. Uh, when you're buying this contract, that's going to be the strike price and the expiration date. The strike price is what that underlying security needs to land above or below, depending on whether it's a call or a put. And then the expiration date is the time at which it has to occur by. The expiration date is where that yes. stock price finishes at. That's the date it's going to take to determine whether or not that contract is good or bad. So the coupon 
has a has an expiration date. It's got a strike price, and and in my head, they're different colors. I think I think of uh, uh there you have two different types of coupon: a call option, or in in my head, uh, a call is is blue. Why blue? <laughs> it's, I'm holding a blue <laughs> ticket. I don't know. Why not they're green? just they're just blue, <laughs> blue and yellow. Okay, th- okay, green for go. I would say uh, green and uh, red. Green. Uh, I've got a call option, so that gives me if I'm the one who 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 bought it, I have the right to buy a hundred shares of the company that the option is sold for. Uh, so so in this case, let's let's say it was a, a Ford Motors. Uh, uh, oh, I can buy a hundred shares of Ford Motors. At a predetermined price, so so by this date. So it's a Ford Motors. It's a call option. So I'm I'm looking to buy the, those shares, and and I'm saying, all right, uh, by this expiration date, I'll buy a hundred shares for this predetermined price. Uh, Set strike price, uh, ten dollars. Okay, I've got a coupon. I can buy a hundred shares of Ford for ten dollars by April sixteenth. All right, yay! I'm a winner. What do I win, Kyle? Well, it depends on where the actual price uh, finishes it. <laughs> it does. Uh, the other type of option is a put, which uh, uh, if you buy it, uh, it grants you the right, the holder of the put coupon, in my head they're yellow, uh, the, the right to sell shares of a company at a predetermined price prior to the expiration date. So if it's April 16th and, and it's a Ford put uh, for $10, that means I have 100 shares. And, and I have the right to say, hey, you're buying my shares at $10. I'm going to exercise this. Boom. Yes, exactly. Um, God, I'm sorry. I can't get over the colors you picked. It makes no sense in my head. Why wouldn't, <laughs> why wouldn't the call be green and a, a put be red? Because you want, with the call, you want the price to go up. Because it's not Christmas, Kyle. Because it's not Christmas. <laughs> but green is, you know, positive. If the stock is going up, it's a green candlestick. If it's going down, it's a red candlestick. If it's a put, you want it to go down. If... There's no positive or negative to about it. They're just different types. Ugh. Blue and yellow. Ugh. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Let me, let me get off of that. <laughs> Why did I bring colors into it? I don't it? know. Um, I bas- don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to okay. add that layer of confusion right. for you. Uh, so let's, let's get back to one of the key points you said. You said not the obligation. You have the right to exercise these, or sorry, you have the right to buy or sell these stocks at the predetermined strike price, but not the obligation. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Oh, it means if I bought the the coupon that uh, I don't have to go through with the deal. Uh, I've negotiated this coupon is basically negotiating the stock trade ahead of time. That's all. That's mm-hmm. all this is. If you think of it like that, it, it's going to make a lot more sense to you. Okay, right. that's what an options contract is. Is it's just a negotiation of a future stock trade in in sets of one hundred shares. Okay, I, if I buy that coupon, I'm buying essentially insurance. If I'm buying that call, I'm buying insurance that if, if that stock shoots up, I can still get in at this low price. Mm-hmm. I can exercise my coupon. I can exercise my contract and say, hey, you, to- you told me that you'd sell me 100 shares of Ford for $10 a share. I know it went up to 25, but I got this contract. 
Give me those hundred shares. Now, what if it goes the other way? What if it goes to five dollars a share, and you have a ten dollar call? And I have a ten dollar call. Well, I would be crazy to exercise that. There's no obligation. I'm not forced to. I don't even think it'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it would. I bet it would. I think I've tried. I don't think it'll let you. I think I've actually tried just to see. Oh, and it says it says no, dummy. Don't throw away your money. I think it was because it was shooting up in uh, pre market, and I was trying to set it to exercise it uh, in the morning when it trading opened up, and it was like. This stock is below. Yeah, I don't think it'll let you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so basically, uh, it's it's lower risk, uh, right? Because instead of buying, if you bought the shares at ten dollars, say you bought a hundred shares at ten dollars, that cost you a thousand dollars. And if the stock dropped mm-hmm. down to five, you'd be stuck with a stock that's now worth five hundred dollars. Your hundred shares. Yeah. Uh, if you bought the contract. You're paying a premium to make that trade in a future date, but you know it's not free. You're paying for it. You have to pay a little extra. Right. So to buy a, a ten dollar contract against your shares, you'd probably be looking at something like you know, depending on where the stock was trading at. Well, let's just look at Ford right now. Why don't we do that? That makes more sense. Oh yeah, good example. So Ford's trading at twelve eighty three right now. So you'd probably be looking at like a fifteen dollar contract. Or a twelve fifty. Why not? Why not tell them the tenth? The company's at twelve ninety. We were talking about a $10 call. So looking at Ford uh, is a good example. Uh, uh, if I wanted to negotiate a sale today uh, that expires in 26 days, April 16th uh, from today, the day of this recording, uh, about mm-hmm. a month, and they're, they're trading at 12, uh, the la- last traded was 12.83 is what, what Ameritrade's showing me. So if I want to sell if I want to buy 100 shares at $10 a share, I want that $10 call. I want a contract that, some, that says someone will sell me Ford shares at $10. I can buy that contract. And that contract today, the last one that sold, sold for $2.92, which uh, translates into $292. So I don't have to buy 100 shares and pay $1,283 right now. Right. I can pay $292 to buy it in the future at $10, hoping hoping it's worth more than $1292, about where it's it's at. This last one was $1283. So it 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 almost almost roughly evens out from where the price is today. But I I, if I was just buying those instead of the hundred shares, you know, I could I could afford the $10 call where I couldn't afford the 100 shares and I'm betting it goes up. If it, if it does go up, the value of that $10 call also goes up. Right. Say the difference between the $10 call and the $8 call, if we pretend like it just moved up $2, the difference of that right now uh, on on just, just looking at the bid, it's a, it's a $185 difference. So if it went up $2, you, you make $185 off of a $292 investment. Roughly. I mean, there's a lot more that goes into those premiums, which we'll kind of touch on a little bit, but yeah. A, that's, those are rough numbers. Options will move a lot faster than a stock will. And then you're also risking a lot less when you're fucking around with them. But because they move so much more, your chances of losing that investment go up significantly too. They have an expiration date. The value of that contract is tied to multiple factors that include time as one of the main ones. Mm-hmm. So the closer it gets to that expiration date, the more value that contract starts to lose. Yes. As a general rule of thumb, I when I'm victoring it in my head, I imagine that these coupons are written on shrinking paper. Mm-hmm. where the closer it gets to that expi- expiring date, the faster it shrinks. 
if you're trading options like you're trading a security, like you're going to buy some of these calls hoping they go up, they're automatically going to go down if the stock price stays the same. Yes. That's uh, referred to a lot of times as the theta decay. Theta is one of the four main components. I think there's five total, but the four main ones that make up the premium or that cost that you're paying when you try to buy or sell one of these contracts. So a great example, as we follow through with Ford, that $10 call that would cost me $292, it's a month out, about roughly. Yeah. If I look at the, Ford does weekly. If I look at the same call price expiring in five days, it's it's $2.80. It's not a whole lot of movement because it's more in the money, meaning that the share price is further or is a for a call it's above the the strike price right so yeah i was using 10 because it's in a nice round number but but it is in the money the, let's look at one that's just barely in the money let's look at the 1250 the theta burn is worse on uh uh out of the money damn it no now you're talking about intrinsic versus extrinsic value because it's in the money more of the value is intrinsic is is because the share price is up higher the extrinsic factors are the, the what it might do, not what it has done, if you think of it that way. Right, right. We were examining the $10, but that one had the intrinsic value, which which means because cause the share price is $2.90, and, and some, you know, $2.83 above 10 already, it's always, it's going to keep that value. It can't, time can't shrink it below where it's, it's in intrinsic value is. Because it's so close to expiration, the most of its value is the value of the share right now, not the other factors that make it up, such as volatility, time. Well, I guess those are the two main ones, really. <laughs> if you look at the $12 calls, the last one sold for $1.19, $119. For April. For April 16th. If we look at where that $12 is right now in the weekly, it's at uh, 90 too. Yep. And if you want to see where it really hurts is the out of the monies. If you look at the 13, it's at uh, $64 right now for a month out and a week out. That $13 coupon, same strike price, is at $26. And then it just keeps getting worse the further out you go. And the reason for that is just because there's less time for it to jump and make those. It's less time for it to actually happen for that price to get above there. And that's and that's near the money. Mm -hmm. The further out you go, the wor like Kyle said, the worse it gets. And if you're buying contracts that are really far out the money, so you're buying like a twenty dollar call. If you're buying a weekly on the twenty dollar, yeah, it only costs you ten cents. But even if the stock jumps up five dollars, you're still only going to maybe get two cents out of it if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's weird to me. And there's open interest. Open interest is how many uh, exist. You know, there's you can only have so many coupons in the world. You can count the number, you know. There's 880 of them that exist, so somebody bought those. Those are ones that have been written and not closed out. Those are the ones that are outstanding. Not necessarily how many, because as many can exist, as many people want to write them. So, like, look at the $14 strike price on uh, March 26th, you'll see that there was 34,900 traded roughly on Friday against only 15,000 almost on the outstanding or open interest. Let's get back to, to, okay, so intrinsic value and extrinsic value. Okay, so if I had Ford, ten, Ford $10 calls and the price is at 12.83 right now. You have $2.83 of intrinsic value. Okay. And then the extrinsic is basically if you subtract the intrinsic from the extrinsic, uh, that's what the extrinsic value is. Uh, that's the value above the intrinsic value or the difference between the strike and the current share price. And that's mainly 
determined by the, t the value of the time, how far away from the expiration date is. Uh, it can also be influenced a lot by volatility, or also the vega, if you want the Greek term. Uh, that volatility is going to be affected by things like upcoming earnings events or major trade show unveilings. Uh, or like in the case of Virgin Galactic that we like to talk about, there's going to be a high volatility factor for uh, contracts that expire after the test flight is supposed to happen in May. I've, I've actually come across several things that say implied volatility and the Vega is the important thing to pay attention to in options trading. I think it's just as important as time because the more a stock moves, right, the more a stock jumps up and down, the more... You're going to have to pay for a contract to get that right to buy at a, a predetermined, you know, strike price. Like because it can move so much more. You know, the people selling these things, they want to make money. In order to sell it and make money, they got to start charging you an extra premium to cover themselves. Right. So, but but the the, the difference between the, the volatility and the time is we can plan for the time. Mm -hmm. Like if it's if it's sand slowly, like a video game, and it's, the sand is moving you towards the edge, you can you can look at that and you can time it and say, well, obviously, I want to get in between thirty and sixty days and ride it down. Uh, I don't want to try and play right right close to the edge. Uh, you know, it's predictable. Uh, but the implied volatility is what will actually drive the price uh, uh, beyond the time drive. The, a change in that implied volatility up or down will move the options, the price, I should say, will move the extrinsic value more. It's significantly too. Yeah. Yes. The time factor is always going away, like you said, like sands through the hourglass. You're always losing value the longer you hold it. And you can, I've looked at graphs. You can graph how that theta dec dec decay is going to increase. You know, it's just a curve. Mm -hmm. That's going to happen. Volatility can go the other way or go either way. Yes. But the amount of extrinsic value is affected more by the volatility than time, ultimately, um, which is why in a lot of the option strategies, a falling price will inflate the premiums on a put, the extrinsic right. value of that put. It gets added a lot because that implied volatility is going up. And if you want to see an example of this, let's take two stocks that are trading about $200. Look at Salesforce, April 16th. Let's look at $200 calls on CRM. And then if you, if you want to pull that up, Dan, I'll pull up the GameStop one. We'll compare the two. All right. I'm looking at Salesforce. Are we looking at April 16th? Yeah. April 16th, $200 strike price. What is your Salesforce trading at right now, the, the actual stock? Uh, $212. Okay. What is a $200 call April 16th selling for roughly? What was the last trade? Uh, uh, $1,495. Okay. GameStop is trading at under 200 just under uh it closed mm -hmm. at 200 dollars and 27 cents after market dropped a little bit actually the 200 would be the one so it's trading right at about 200 dollars right now uh april 16th 200 call uh last traded for 60 dollars a contract 60 four four times higher yes four times higher and and it's it's barely in the money while the salesforce $200 call is is $12 in the money. It yeah. has it has $12 of intrinsic value. So yeah. so this, let's let's calculate that. The extrinsic value in my Salesforce at 1495 mm -hmm. is is going to be uh uh where we 21220 1495 uh, to 1220 270. Okay, I've got I got 270 in 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 extrinsic value. How much do you have over there on GameStop? I have uh, almost all of it. <laughs> I've got 27 cents. Almost 
all of it. 27 cents of intrinsic value, and I've got 59.99 in extrinsic. So those are two extremes, but those can show you how much volatility and an underlying security can really move and change that options contract. The value of it, how much it's going to cost you to, to acquire it. So, so that volatility, whew, it really, met, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that extrinsic value on the Salesforce is uh, 4.5% the size of the extrinsic value on the GameStop. And it makes sense. That's just, it's just astounding. That's just astounding. One of them can jump $100 in a day. The other one moves maybe eight on a good day, $8. It's so, so it's 21 times higher. Yeah. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, and, and before, before we move on to talking to Chris, uh, do we have any other definitions to go over real quick? Yeah, just real quick. I want to cover what we're meaning when we're saying buying to open or buying to close or selling to open, selling to close. Um, that's just determining whether or not we are the purchaser of the contractor contracts or the underwriter uh when we open our position we're have, we're specifying whether we're purchasing the calls or put options to open that position or if we're selling them to open it for you know which end of the trade are we on are we the underwriter or are we the buyer okay if kyle and i are the two people right if i'm the one writing the contract you're negotiating that sale ahead of time that's all Let's negotiate this sale ahead of time. Well, who's who's going to be buying the shares and who's going to be selling the shares? Yes. If I'm selling a call to you, Kyle, you're going to be buying the shares from me at a predetermined price. I've got the shares. Right. I'm going to sell a call to you, Kyle, and you're going to buy them. So you're buying the call. I'm selling the call. Right. I'm writing the coupon down right now, and then I'll hand it to you. And you give me the money. I give you the money for the premium. Give me that. Give me that premium. So in that case, you'd be selling to open, and I'd be buying to open. Yes, and then you're paying me for the contract, and then in a month, Kyle, or at any time, Kyle can show up at my door. Knock, 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 knock. Hey, I, uh, I wanna, I wanna buy those shares from you at that predetermined price that we we did. They, see, I still have the coupon. Hasn't expired. So now we, we mentioned in the beginning that the, the buyer has the right but not the obligation. Uh, if you're selling, uh, you don't get that. Uh, if they get exercised, uh, guess what? You can't say, nah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> the price went up. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. No. And at that point, Kyle then gives me the money, the predetermined amount for the 100 shares, and I give him the 100 shares. If it's the other way around, if it's a put that I'm selling, okay, I'm gonna write this put, Kyle and I would be negotiating, okay, Kyle has 100 shares, and he wants some insurance that if that stock's dropping, well, he wants to know he can sell it to me at a predetermined price. Mm -hmm. So I write him the coupon, say, yeah, okay, Kyle, I'll buy 100 shares from you. I got a put right here. Yep. I'll write it up, okay? 100 shares at $10 a share, and I'll say, okay, Kyle, that, that'll cost you this much money for the premium. He'll give me the money. I hand him the contract. He just bought a put. I just sold a put. And at any time, Kyle, uh, if, if I sold a put to you, yeah. Right. And then you, and you gave me the premium and you, you leave. Can you show up at my door at any time and say, all right, I need you to buy those shares. If you're listening in America. Yes. OK. So, yeah. And it, I sold Kyle that put at any time. He can show up at my door, say, hey, Dan, I need you. To, I need to sell those shares to you right now for that price we already agreed on. Yep. And and then I'd say, okay, and then I have to give Kyle money for the shares at the price we agreed upon, and then he'll give me the shares. Right. So those are the two sides of uh, buying to open, selling to open. 
uh, what about what's selling to close and buying to close? Uh, if you're selling to close, then that's that. I bought a contract and I decided that I don't want to exercise them. I want to exit my position, just lock in some gains, maybe before the theta decay uh, really hurts. Or maybe it spiked up really high and the volatility spiked. So now it's got a lot of extra value because of that movement. Uh, I can just go ahead and sell it now, close out my position, uh, and then not worry about having to come up with funds to exercise it or, or whatnot. Uh, same thing if it goes the other way and you, you can do that with a put as well. Uh, the stock drops really, you know, my, my contract is now firmly in the money. Volatility's up. I still got some time on it. Uh, I don't want to just wait or maybe I'm worried that it's going to rebound. I can go ahead and just close out the contract now. Just take my money and then just be done. Not have to worry about it anymore. Don't have to worry about future movements or anything like that. Uh, other side of that is if you had sold, like if I bought that from you, say you, you sold a call to me and the underlying security dropped and now that contract is losing value you might want to go ahead and close that out early rather than waiting to see if it expires worthless because you already have a profit now yeah just go ahead and buy it back and then just be done with it just whether or not you're opening or closing a position is all that really means yeah if if you're the option seller uh, and you want to close your position you don't want to be on the hook anymore you don't want to deal with it you can buy it back at yes. the, whatever the rate it's going for right now. Yep. I'd say, all right, all right, all right, I need to be done. Uh, Kyle, Kyle, I sold you that call, uh, but uh, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. Uh, well, even if Kyle says no, I can find somebody else who has the same exact value coupon, buy it from them, and re- switch it out with the one in Kyle's hands. Yeah. While he's not looking. Like a ninja. <laughs> so let's uh, let's go ahead and just put the link to the Investopedia uh, on the Greeks because they do a really good job of describing that. I haven't gotten around to writing that for our site. So yeah, I highly encourage everyone to take a closer look at that. That's something that we didn't do when we first started messing around with options. And uh, you really mm-hmm. probably should have an understanding of what those actually are and how they affect prices before you start fucking around with them. Oh, yeah. Another quick thing I wanted to touch on about paying attention to if you're looking to trade options, and that's the volume on the options. Dan, you touched on the vol- mm-hmm. uh, the open interest, so you can see how many are outstanding. But we talked about bid and spread and the the market uh, intro, and then as that volatility or that volume, sorry, as that volume starts to to decrease, if there's not a whole lot of people trading it, there's going to be a really big spread on the bid and ask. Uh, what that means is that you know you'd have to buy it for a higher amount than you can sell it for. Um, what's a good stock that doesn't have a whole lot of action on it? Let me let me give an example with a trade that I'd made when I was first starting out. It was. Uh, with SAP, I wanted to buy some some call contracts on on SAP because I thought they were going to go up and and they were going up. It was actually doing quite well. But when I went to try to get rid of them and I went to try to sell them, um, I went and looked at the fucking spread on them and it was almost a dollar. Uh, when they were you know further out the money, the spread was a lot closer. If I look at the April sixteenth, one hundred thirty five dollar call, you know there was two. Sh- Two contracts that changed hands uh, on Friday. Uh, the bid ask wow. spread is you know thirty five cents on the bid, fifty cents on the ask. So that looks kind of tight. That doesn't look like it's all that bad. Let's jump to uh, the one fifteen call. That's that's about six dollars in the money. The bid spread on that is eight eighty on the bid, nine sixty on the ask. There's a, almost a full dollar difference between the the price somebody's willing to pay to buy it and the price that someone's willing to sell it at. Uh, there was fifteen contracts that changed hands on that one. When there's not a lot of volume, it be- yeah, it becomes really hard to get rid of them. If you can sell them, it becomes the value. You might sell it for less than its intrinsic value at that point. Right. Because there's so few people willing to buy and you want to sell it because you can't exercise it because you can't buy 100 shares. 
and you just bought the call to ride it up, you may find yourself in a position where you have to sell it for less than its intrinsic value because that's all anybody will pay for it. So that's why, I mean, you know, obviously, if you listen to the show regularly, you know that Dan and I are not fucking licensed or experts or anything. We're just trying to trying to share what we've learned so far. I've lost money. We lose money for you. <laughs> and I want to I want to let you know that that was my tuition to learn these things. <laughs> but if you want to start messing around with it just to kind of get a feel for them, pick a stock that's that's a big name, that's blue chip, something like a Ford is a good one to start around with because the premiums are going to be a lot less on a stock that trades at a much lower value. And it's also probably not going to completely tank on you, right? Yeah, it's not going to shoot up, but you at least get a feel for how they trade. There's also a lot more options contracts being traded on, on those big blue chips. Oh, yeah. So if you want to start learning and experimenting, try to find the least risky way to do it, uh, just to try to allow yourself to make those mistakes and not cost you too much money. All right, Kyle, should we, uh, should we get Chris on here? I think so. I think it's, uh, let's take some questions from Chris. We're going to get Christopher Borman on here real quick and uh, uh, do a little bit of a questions and answers and talk more, a little bit more about options strategies and how you can play these, these options games uh, for, for lower risk than you might think. We are so excited. We're ecstatic today. We have with us in the shop Christopher Borman from Christopher Borman Speaks uh, on, on YouTube. How are you doing today, Chris? Uh, doing very well. Thank you for having me. The more the merrier. The shop's always better with friends. I mean, I've smashed yeah. China alone and it's kind of fun, but like when you've got friends to smash it with, Oh boy, look out. That's a good time. <laughs> How long have you been experimenting with uh, trading, Chris? I'd say I've been experimenting with uh, options trading a little over two years. I first started in late 2018. That was just after I got laid off. I made my first options investment, <laughs> and that was just in time for the S&P to go through the floor. Mm. And I had about... Mm. Uh, had about a week's worth of daily 20% losses. So oh. I've, I've heard of um, this concept called beginner's luck. Didn't, didn't really apply to me. I'm, I'm still looking for that beginner's luck. I'm, I'm hoping it'll hit later. <laughs> you had the opposite, sounds like. Oh, man. Beginner's misery, I guess. There you go. It. But uh, you know, then again, you know, the silver lining is I learned a very expensive lesson, and, and that is to know what you're doing mm. and have a plan. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm actually surprised you stuck with it after seeing that kind of disaster to start out with. Well, uh, <laughs> what led me to stick with it were the inspiring stories from a friend of mine. I, I, before, I never considered getting into options. I, I had heard about options when I first started investing right out of college. I, I understood the concept of it, that it gave you the right but not the obligation to buy or sell securities at a certain price for a certain length of time. Uh, but I always associated them with being a tool of like the ultra rich millionaires and billionaires or corporate executives because it's always mm. get 
mentioned as part of, of an executive compensation package. But about 10 years ago, I joined a local Toastmasters group. Mm. And, and one of the club members, you know, he was probably about his, in his late 60s, early 70s at the time, he frequently gave speeches about options trading. And he was obviously very enthusiastic about it. And I remember thinking, all right, if, if this regular guy can trade options, I, I guess I can too. And plus, mm-hmm. some of the numbers that he was quoting were very appealing I mean, in terms of making some serious percentage profit uh, in, in just a few days. I mean, you could really make uh, some serious money. Uh, as it turns out, you can also lose some serious yes. money. I, I, he, didn't, he didn't mention <laughs> that part in the speech. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of the same thing when you talk to gamblers. They always tell you about their big wins. They never tell you about <laughs> the times where they lost Wait. it all. Right. I probably should have asked him about that. Yeah, that doesn't make as good of a speech. <laughs> <laughs> that it does. All right, so you 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 jumped in. Uh, what were you What were you trying to do? Uh, like, how are you going about picking your companies when you first started? Well, these days, the strategies I use are based on the broader markets, and these are the strategies that my friend from Toastmasters taught me. Two of the strategies are the best three and six days of the month, as well as the reverse scalping. For the best three and six days, you would buy calls on an index ETF. I usually mm-hmm. use uh, SPY. You buy yeah. the calls on, on the ninth business day of the month, and you sell them on the 11th business day of the month. Uh, you can also buy on the second to last business day of the month and then sell on the fourth business day of the following month. And these are the time periods during the month where people typically get paid and therefore 401k contributions hit the market. And those are the days where the markets have a higher than average chance of going up. And That's you would interesting. Buy calls, yeah, calls with a, a delta of about 0.7, I guess that gives you the most bang for the buck. And the second strategy is called reverse scalping. It's when an index falls below its 10-day moving average, there's a higher than average probability that it will rebound back to the 10-day moving average fairly quickly. So you would Mm -hmm. buy the calls on the index ETF, and then you would adjust your exit point based on whatever the the new 10-day moving average is. Uh, What kind of success rates are you seeing with that? Yeah, I, I've had some some pretty good success. I mean, certainly more than just buying and holding the actual shares of individual companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say I, I could earn anywhere between you know ten, you know, twelve, even twenty percent in just a few days, and that is what keeps me going. It's it's the small wins. I, I don't have a whole lot of cash to go crazy and buy you know ten, twenty contracts, but I can buy one or two and mm-hmm. make a little bit of money. And since I'm mm-hmm. following somebody else's lead. I'm less likely to screw up. <laughs> and uh, assuming I'm, I'm he knows what he's talking with, about, right? Well, he, he's been doing this uh, pretty well. I mean, he he's yeah. had uh, a bunch of winning years, and I I trust his judgment. And do you keep numbers, track of your? Oh yeah, you, yeah. I've uh, I've got a spreadsheet. I'm, I'm I'm doing pretty well when I follow his plan. Unfortunately, I also had a plan of my own. <laughs> I thought you know the Dow is at about it's about I think back then it was. 29,000. Mm-hmm. And I th- it is due big time for a correction. So I bought some puts on the DJX and this this was probably uh, in in January of 2020. You're close. And well, it was close and it was just in time for COVID to hit. So I thought yeah. I was a genius when the Dow tanked when COVID first hit. And I, I sold a few of them and I thought okay, I'm going to be really smart. Market started to go up a little bit. You know, I bought them back. 
They say, okay, now it's going to go down again. And it just never looked back from there. No. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm praying for a mild Armageddon. That, that, <laughs> you, know, you know, nothing too out of control, right? Because we, you know, right. we don't want to get crazy with it. You know, I just right. need, you know, just, just a, a depression for about two weeks. If you're shorting the market, if you're too right, then the money means nothing. So even though you won big. <laughs> <laughs> it went to zero. Yes. Yeah, you'd be better off <laughs> buying ammo and food. <laughs> Fair. Fair point. I, I will say some of my uh, biggest losses in options have been when I tried to anticipate a, a, a correction down and a drop in, in the average and it did not yep. pull it off. I think that's been a common theme that we've been finding. Yep, we've both tried it. I've been able to ride <laughs> momentum sometimes, but uh, even then, I don't know enough about what I'm doing to eat. To make that profitable or a long-term, you know, successful strategy. Um, you mentioned, you know, paying, trying to. You picked a new strategy. You you put it into action. You lost. Learned an expensive lesson. Uh, we talked to uh, who was that? George Papazov. Yeah. Uh, one of the the ways he taught us to put that into perspective is that you think of that as like paying your tuition, right? Because there, there's not really, you know school to learn this stuff you know this is kind of something you have to do by trial and error it seems like or at least that's what we've been finding experience uh, is the best teacher yeah so yeah when i take a big loss i just chalk it up now I'm like yep i had to pay my tuition i've come across a lot of different option strategies this is the first i'm hearing uh uh of buying the, the the calls on specific days to take advantage of that bump of, of paychecks. That's brilliant. Uh, I, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely going to look at that. Overall, Kyle and I, like, like you may have heard us talking about the options on the show, we found that the, the profit long-term seems to be in selling options and not buying them. Yep. I've, I've heard of that, and I've always been afraid of the options getting exercised. Right. <laughs> Me too. So Me too. Any calls yep. I have to write is they'd have to be covered or else have a boatload of cash to buy it. Right, right. Yeah, uh, I was also fearful of it. Uh, I was in the same boat you were, and and but it it turns out you should be more scared of buying just just buying a call or or buying a put because the, the those can go to zero so quick. But a covered call, like I've I I entered a, I sold a few covered calls for the first time to kind of get my toe dip my toes in the water and very quickly realize like wait a minute. This is less risky. So I own the 100 shares and I sell that covered call. I just have to hold those shares until the call either gets expired or gets exercised. And if I set that price above where I bought those shares, I want it to get exercised because that means I'm selling at a profit and I got paid to sell it at a profit. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. One of the other things we keep hearing is this uh, statistic that 80% of all options contracts expire worthless. I had not heard that statistic. That certainly puts things into perspective. Yeah, that was, I think, David Modell, one of our late, latest guests, uh, tossed that one out. Well, yeah, I think, yeah, I think his, his point was, uh, uh, especially when things get volatile, they start moving and the, the implied volatility goes up, things, the stock doesn't move as far as options traders think it will. It all boils down to the fact that who's got the most risk in the scenario, right? As the seller, I don't think I'm the one 
exposed all the risk. But you've hedged yourself in that scenario because you have the covered calls. If you're selling like a naked call. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're selling a naked call, then yeah, that's the riskiest shit in the world. Okay. So let's, let's, let's just look at it like a, a call contract. If you buy a call contract, what's your profit potential? What's the, the most you can earn? I mean, theoretically it's unlimited, right? So the person selling that has to account for that risk, small risk, but it's still a risk. So in order to make it profitable for him to sell these contracts, right? Cause it's basically an insurance play. He has to, to charge the premium in order to make it worth his while. Once you start thinking of options as insurances against you know, long positions, I mean, which is really like the main reason I think that they exist. They start to, it starts to make a lot more sense that, that buying them is, is not the profitable way, uh, at least long-term, unless you have like specific information that, you know, or a catalyst that, you know, is coming up. Does it, does that make sense, Chris? It does. I suppose one could talk about the opportunity cost. If your option gets exercised, then your your profits are capped. And if you think yes. that that stock was going to go up even further, then you miss out on those potential profits. But again, you know, potential is you know that's, that's just in the wind there, right? You know, how did our guest put it? He said uh, sometimes every now and then someone buys insurance and then gets really sick the next day. Yes, that's not the norm. <laughs> right. As soon as I began to, as soon as I shifted in my brain how I thought about options. And I changed over to the mindset of options contracts are insurance contracts for stocks and and started looking at it like that. Then all of a sudden, the idea of buying an insurance contract that a stock might go up a lot and I don't own the stock, uh, I don't have anything to do with the stock. Like, why am I buying an insurance contract on that? Just hoping the insurance contract is worth more when I can have the shares and I can I can sell someone else that insurance contract because they're worried it'll shoot up and I'm not worried because I've got the shares. I'm going to collect that insurance premium. Uh, you know, I'm the insurance man. Uh, if I don't have shares of a stock, I can sell a put. People are scared it's going to drop down. And I can sell a put and say, okay, well, I'll buy 100 shares at $3 a share from you. Don't worry about it. And you'll pay me for the privilege. <laughs> <laughs> you just give yeah. me 25 bucks to do that. And, and because if, if you're watching uh, the specific security, and you could do this on the S&P itself, if, if you manage to... to get to a point where you can do 100 shares on like SPY. Uh, I'm uh, not there. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Maybe someday. Me neither. Maybe someday. Yeah. Um, you, you would be able to do the same thing. Obviously, you already know, you're already watching it, right? You already know the days where it likes to spike because of those 401ks. Uh, uh, that being said, uh, one of the things David Modell recommended was it's better to be an expert on a, on a small chunk of stock tickers than to try and like stock screen and find the new next hottest thing. Oh yeah. So like you've got a really solid advantage of, of already having been trading it and been watching it in, in that you can open up the options chain and say, oh, okay, I don't think SPY is going to go this low, but this put right now is selling for, you know, $10 a contract, you know, so you collect a thousand dollars if you sell one, you know? Right. Uh, it gives you gives you that advantage in that time window to to sell somebody else their insurance with and using utilizing your knowledge of of the likelihood of, of whether or not that stock would really move that much. There's also other ways too if you want if you're worried about the the risk or if you don't have the capital to buy like shares to cover or uh, like are you familiar with spreads? Yeah, I've heard the um, I've heard the term. I don't think I know what it is. Does that involve the, like selling a call and then buying a put? At a higher no, it's it's the same security. So, like, if I wanted to, if I was bullish on a stock and I wanted 
it's a way to cap your losses, but also lower the premium that you're paying. So like, um, I don't know, let's pick a stock so we can actually... Uh, oh. International paper. Of course, we an IT guy it. likes IP. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me, okay, so look at the April 16 and tell me a 55 strike and a 60 strike for calls. April 16th, 55 strike is uh selling for 85 cents uh the spread on 60 is 5 to 15. so probably take the midpoint of both of those so what you'd be looking at is you'd be looking at like two points on the same expiration date and then depending on whether you want to be a net seller or a net buyer uh you you use the premium from selling you know the one to pay for the other one so that way you can get a you can use especially for like higher volatile stocks you can use that to kind of take the volatility the vega factor a little bit out of it to capture potential losses but also capture potential wins okay let's 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 slow down a little bit Kyle. all right so we're looking at IP, it ended the week at $53.58. So when we pull up the options and we see the calls, we see that there's a $55 call and it's, it's bid is $0.85, cents, it's ask is $1.10. And then we look at the $60 calls and it's bid is $0.05 cents and it's ask is $0.15. Cents. So, so the spread is, depending on uh, whether we want to be a net seller or a net buyer, we're going to sell if a, a net seller would sell the $55 call and buy the $60 call. I gotcha. Okay. So you're selling a call at one strike price, buying a call at a higher strike price, same expiration date. Yes. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. And then the reason why you're doing that is just to take advantage of the, the premiums. You can use the premium of the one to lower your initial cost and your initial risk. I said it wrong. No, I said it wrong. You're, you're, you're selling the, the, the higher strike price uh, it depends on which way you're going. If you want to be a net buyer or a net seller. Okay. Like so for us, we like to be the one selling it, but we can use that to cap our potential, you know, that exponential loss. If the stock, if something happens, the stock shoots up to $85 a share, we make our max potential profit, but we don't get burned. I'm sorry. If we're sellers and it shoots up really high like that, like we're capped at the most we can lose. Like we've, we've used a higher strike price to hedge our short position. Right, right. There's, there's, there's not that loss, that, that infinite loss potential. We don't have to own a hundred shares because we have that, and then vice that versa. second call you can do that's that, a higher strike. You can do that the other way if you want to be a net buyer, where you buy the the closer to the money and sell the further out of the money, and you can use the difference in the two premiums in order to lower your initial entry point. Gotcha. Right, like, so in, like in this instance, the fifty-five and the fifty-seven fifty. Would probably be the move I would make. If yeah, I would. I'm not as familiar with this stock, so let's take a closer look at it. So the 5750 um, is going for 25 cents. So if I sold one of those, uh, I get 25 bucks, and then I want to buy the 55, uh, and manage to get it for like 95. I could take that 25, lower it to 70 cents, and then so now I have a 55 dollar call, and I and I you know I paid. $15 less for it than I would have. Right. So you're off you're offsetting some of the risk, but you're also capping some of your profits. Exactly. Gotcha. But because you because you have to overcome that premium and that premium is priced in to to not be, you know, profitable for the person buying the calls because otherwise everyone just be buying everything, right? Right. Right. It, it's just another tool in your toolbox to to, to help you, you know, try to try to make those break even points. Um, 
I've used this most recently. I did it with Virgin Galactic after they tanked from the um, the news of their what was that the, the test flight being delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, their test flight got rescheduled for May, so I went and looked at June contracts, and then bought uh, an at the money call and sold one that was I think about nine or ten dollars away. To, to lower that risk. And so a $7 contract ended up only costing me two fifty, but because the, because there was such a large drop to start with, that stock had a really high implied volatility. And when the volatility goes up because it moves so much more, now your premiums start to rise, right? Because it's an insurance contract and everybody gets scared because of all that movement and they go, Oh shit, I really need insurance now that it's moving. And yeah, and that m- magical premium just inflates right up. <laughs> In last week's episode, you mentioned uh, using TD Ameritrade's uh, volati- volatility graph. Yes. Uh, is that something that uh, you've had a lot of success with? Do you find that to be accurate? I just started <laughs> using it. I just found it. Uh, uh, we are one week into that experiment. But... Uh, uh, the reason I found it was I've been watching options videos and they all use this. Like every person that's like, here's my strategy. And, and then they'll be like, and we'll pop it into the probability analysis. And I'm like, wait, I need probability analysis. Um, it's based off, it's not like they, they, they make the numbers up themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I guess in the way they do, but it's, it's based off of implied volatility, which, which, itself is a a component uh an attribute of the the security itself so it's it's kind of like the market is telling you how far the market believes it it's likely to move chris are you familiar with the the options have you done any research into all the components that make up a premium of a contract i haven't i do have thinkorswim and that's something i want to start using more of Mm mm-hmm but haven't had the time as of yet. So that's that's a, a common thing. That's actually something we did too. We jumped into this game without understanding anything about them really. So there's there's several main components that go into determining what the price of that contract's gonna be. They're called the Greeks because they're all named after Greek symbols. You know, you got theta, vega, uh, delta, okay. gamma, all those. So I'm sure you're familiar with time decay, right? Yes, I I've I've heard that uh, I guess uh how much the option moves versus $1 move of the underlying security. I think that's, that's one of the Greeks. That's one of them. I think that's the Delta. Yeah. The, yeah. the time decay, that's the one that you're always fighting. So even if your underlying security is going up on a call that you have, you might still be losing money because it's not moving fast enough. Uh, the time right. decay is how much value that's going to lose each day passes if it stays you know, constant in price. I've learned a rule of thumb is not to hold options with less than 30 days until expiration because then the time decay gets really out of control. Mm-hmm. That is definitely something we've seen too. <laughs> and, and that's actually exactly why I like being a seller of options just over 30 days is I can mm-hmm. sell that insurance contract and that theta just burns the value away to where I, you know, I already have the cash. If it becomes worthless, I win. So the option that you're selling becomes worthless pretty darn quickly. Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we just started with this too about two or three weeks ago, I think, after talking to you know three or four experts and they all seem to be saying the same thing, like 
all of them like to play with options, but they all seem to be, you know, net sellers. Yep. I'd rather be the, uh, the casino than the, the guy at the casino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is a fair point. You know, I'm, I hadn't heard any of the other side of the argument. You know, Me all I've ever thought of when considering selling calls or selling any kind of option, really, mm-hmm. is what if it gets what if it gets exercised? Then I'm out tens of thousands of dollars or all these shares that I re- kind of wanted to hold on to get taken away from me and any future profits along with it. And I never really considered that there might be another another side to the argument. Well, the question is, you know, what point are they getting exercised at? What's the stock at mm-hmm. at the time of that too? Because if you collect enough of a premium, you might still be profitable if you get the shares. Then you just turn around and sell them once the market opens and you're still up. Well, he's, say, he's saying if he's selling a covered call, he doesn't want to lose the shares that uh, that he likes. Oh, oh, oh. But well, the thing is, is you, you if you set your strike price, like if you bought the shares for $10, you can sell the $15 call. That means you're saying you'll sell them to somebody for $15 a share. Okay, if it gets exercised, you just made a lot of money. True, true, and, and, but you got to—I guess you got to price it right so that someone will actually buy it. Yeah, well, that's when—that's what what comes back to uh, that premium and when those premiums are at their highest. So that's the timing part of selling the options. So generally, what happens because they are insurance contracts, and I mean, when you think about that, uh, uh, then price movement really—you're you're talking about how much fear is being built up about this momentum. If it's going down, people are scared. It's going to keep going down. So the put premiums will shoot up. And Mm -hmm. if it's going up, people are scared. They missed the boat. Oh, no, it's going to keep going up. So the premiums for the calls shoot way up. And then as you've been already studying moving averages, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, that regression to the mean that tends to happen or Mm -hmm. is more likely to happen, right? Right. So at those points, that's when you want to be the sellers when they're when they're taken off like that. Especially missing the boat, I can certainly identify with that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all missed the boat on something. <laughs> and then there's there's the other side of it too. Uh, so you know, calls getting your shares called away, but what about selling puts? I like selling the puts because you know the worst that can happen is the stock can go to zero, right? So right. if I can pick stocks that or in my price range where, you know, like I've lost a couple thousand dollars on, on options trades, just buying naked calls. So, <laughs> so I shouldn't be scared if a $10 stock goes to zero, right? Uh, Cause that's, you know, a thousand bucks. I've, I've done that, you know, with way worse trading strategies. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I can mitigate my, my risk in that point by selling on, on stocks that fall within my window. But if it's also a stock that I really like, uh, I'm basically saying that, okay, say I sell a, a, a a stock that's trading at ten bucks, I sell a premium for on a put a ten dollar strike price at a dollar. I basically agreed to buy those shares at nine dollars if it drops. And if it's a stock that I'm familiar with and that I like and that I think has good long term potential, why wouldn't I want to pre negotiate a better entry price for what I want? That is an amazing point. Yeah. So even if it does drop down to six or seven, like I don't know, I was still gonna buy it. I was gonna buy it at ten probably. I bought it at nine. I just saved myself a hundred dollars. Yeah, you still saved. You still save money yeah. because, of the pre- because of the premium. So that's something that Warren Buffett likes to do. I think we mentioned that a couple of times in different episodes. It's, it's crazy to me because I read about Warren Buffett selling puts to open his positions, but I didn't quite wrap my head around it until David Modell explained it. And then, and then just like you did, Kyle, you just did a wonderful job of explaining it. Uh, and then it becomes like, yeah, wait, I want to buy this stock. Why wouldn't I negotiate? buying it in 30 days for a cheaper price than I would get it today. Like, okay, well, that's a no-brainer. 
And that's that's kind of the way you got to think about the covered calls too. If you already own a hundred shares and you're selling a call contract, you can't worry about what it's going to do in the future if you've negotiated yeah. right now a profitable price for yourself. Or you know, free if I can, premium. yeah, through the premium. And yeah, which the way and the way Kyle and I look at it is that free premium just keeps lowering the cost of those shares. The yeah, the cost basis of your shares. That ten dollars stock that okay, say it drops down to eight, I get the shares put to me. I'm showing a hundred, you know, hundred dollar loss because I bought them at nine, but now I can sell ten dollar calls at you know fifty cents or whatever they'd be trading at if it's at eight, and I'm just guaranteeing myself a profit. If it doesn't get there, then I sell another one. If it doesn't get there, then I sell another one. I just keep on doing that until my shares are basically paid for. And you would wait till the previous uh, call is expired before you write the other one? Oh, you have to. Yeah, it's because I'd be wanting to keep myself covered in that kind of, yeah. uh, scenario. Uh, yeah. Once you, st- I don't want to sell naked calls and puts. I think that's, well, naked calls is one thing. Naked naked puts, uh, you know, I'm a little more lenient on that because that's, if you're using that to enter the position, I don't really consider that. What do you call that, Dan? The cash covered? Cash covered puts? Yeah, because when when I when I make a, when I sell a put on Ameritrade, it uh, deducts from my, uh, my, my available funds the amount of that contract. It's like, like it, it, you know, oh, I've negotiated the buying these shares at a $5 put. So it's going to lock $500 until, until the puts exercise. Or expired. So you t- I, I actually like that a lot because like the last couple of weeks, the market's been pretty tumultuous. And uh, mm-hmm. this week, my portfolio stayed pretty darn steady because the majority of it, I've just sold all these puts. And it was just cash sitting there covering the put. Uh, and then, and then uh, as I said on the, the show just the other day, five out of six of those puts I sold all expired worthless. So I just collected free premium. That is incredible. Yeah. I was just renting my money. Yeah. I never heard that statistic of 80% expiring worthless. Um, uh, we actually saw, we've been tracking uh, big money um, options contracts that get mm-hmm. traded. I don't know if you mm-hmm. look at Benzinga to, to kind of see what like, where the millionaire million dollar trades are getting swung. No, um, they they have a tool on there, but we went through and looked at that. We we've been reporting on them on our show since probably November. Or yeah, um, I had data from like the actual strike prices, expiration dates, and what the 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 payment was uh, going back to January. And I just went back through not too long ago and looked, and we saw that God, what was it? Two thirds of them were underwater. Yeah. And the losers were losing twice as much as the winners were winning. Yeah. Wow. So we've completely flipped our thinking on, because initially I thought was like, okay, you know, the people that have lots of money probably know something we don't know. What are they doing? But now it looks more like, hey, these are probably the good ones to sell. <laughs> right. I think, you, I think you flipped my thinking too. I think this is something I need to, uh, this is something I need to research further and start considering. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, for sure. I think that if you want to make money long-term with this, uh, that's definitely the, the route to go. You know, again, we're, we're also beginners. I think we're going to call this segment blind leading the blind, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, but yeah, definitely uh, check into it. I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there are strategies out there that, uh, that involve buying and selling. I'm sure you may have heard of like iron condors Yep. and, uh, uh, butterflies. I, I've watched many, many informative videos, and, and I know, I know you can make money on them long term, but they they feel to me pretty tedious. And it's like, oh, we'll get sixty two percent of the time on this iron condor. Uh, I really think the the 
playing it as selling options it, it, in my own experience so far ha- has been more fruitful already from the get-go I also it think this sounds simpler th- yes. that's the key there i think i think the simpler your strategy is i think the better uh, the better it is more likely st- yeah certainly more likely to be engaged if it's simpler uh-huh. the simpler it is the more likely you are to stick with it too correct yeah what i've heard you guys mention the wheel and mm-hmm. i've heard that I've heard that term. I don't know what that is. Can you guys explain that to me? Go ahead, Dan. Uh, well, the wheel is exactly what we've just been talking about this whole time. Uh, puts and calls are just one side of the wheel and the other. So I like, uh, right for, for example, in my own portfolio, Organogram, OGI, I, uh, I wanted shares. I didn't have shares. I sold a $4 put and collected a $25 premium and locked up $400. But if I take off that $25 premium, you know, $375 for 100 shares. So I'm getting them at $375. And uh, it actually exercised. And I realized this, Kyle, it exercised hmm. at $3.99. Like, I can't do better than that. That's, that's literally no. the best <laughs> entry into getting, extra, getting put the, the shares. I mean, yeah. yep. It dawned on me. I was like, oh my, that's, that's a sign. I'm doing it right. <laughs> so now I have those 100 shares. Okay, well, I successfully completed one turn of the wheel. So now that I have those 100 shares, I'm now, uh, I'm now a seller so, uh, of those shares. I now want to get those shares called away. So now I'm going to sell a covered call. I'm going to sell a call, uh, maybe at four dollars, maybe 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 at five. We'll 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 see. But but regardless, uh, I'm I'm less. I like I care less about having the shares for the wheel purposes. I care less about having the shares. That just lets me know whether it's a call or a put. So now that I have them, I sell the the call. Let's say four dollars strike price again. Uh, oh, I you know it's a it's a month out. The premium uh, right now is like fifty dollars. Okay. You're going to pay me $50 to sell these shares to you that I just got for $4 for the same price. But, oh, wait, I actually got them for $375. And now I got another $50 to to sell them to you for $4. I got them at $325. So now next month, if 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 they exercise, if they exercise, okay, I sell them for the $400. You just collected $75 total, and now you start again. And now now I start again. Yeah, $75 ahead. And just keep so you're turning the wheel. You keep selling your puts until you finally get the shares. Once you finally get the shares, then you start selling the calls until the shares get called away. And you keep selling calls until you finally lose them. Then you just start over again. Uh-huh. So you're just running a cycle of basically just selling puts and calls uh, where you don't really care too much about the stock, right? You're just yeah. trying to sell the, the contracts to collect the premiums and you're using the the shares that you're given as kind of your your hedge against the top end potential, you know, the risk that comes with selling calls. Now I know. Now I feel less stupid. There you go. <laughs> oh, we felt dumb when we first heard it too. Like, what? This sounds like a brilliant plan. <laughs> it's so easy. Everybody's got to be doing it. It can't be true. <laughs> the problem is there's so much fear assigned because be, everyone thinks that options have that, you know, that magic lottery ticket that they're going to mm-hmm. shoot to infinity and you might catch that train. Well, the reverse side of that, you don't want to be on the other side of that. You don't want to be the guy who sold, sold $10 calls on GameStop when it was trading at eight. Yeah. And, and shot up to 400. <laughs> 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 
But, you know, how often does that happen? Exactly. Once every eight or ten years? Right, but it's the fear that seems to stick with people longer. It makes a bigger impact, especially in these Oh, yeah, yeah. The very first lesson I learned in stock trading is that it is an emotional game. It, it's, oh, it's, yes. It's not a rational game. It's an emotional game. So, yeah. Uh, I think the, my, my whole inner concept of like, I'm just an insurance salesman now definitely plays into that big time. And, and it's all, it just all seems to click into place. Like, oh, the wheel. Yes. Uh, it, mindset certainly plays a big part. I mean, after all, the market is made out of buyers and sellers, and those are individual human beings. Mm -hmm. Each of those human beings are bringing their, their greed, their fear, you know, who knows what else they're bringing to the market. You know, some folks are are panic selling. Mm -hmm. You know, the market might be rational. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, I forget who quoted the term, but uh, the, the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. Oh, that was from the big short, wasn't it? Could very well be. Yeah, I like the Reddit version. You can remain uh, retarded longer than you can remain solvent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're talking about GameStop. I, I fell into the GameStop trap. I, I decided I was smarter than these guys. I'm going to wait until GameStop goes back to being a $10 stock. So I'm going to buy puts on GameStop. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, oh I, the best I could afford was a $47 strike price. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it expires in July. And then, you know, it started getting back into the double digits, started rubbing my hands. It's coming. Here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then last week happened and, you know, all hell broke loose. So I, I thankfully I didn't invest very much in, in that. And I am done with Reddit. From now on, I am taking my stock tips from QAnon now. That's there you good. go. <laughs> they, they know what's up. Yeah, if you spend any time with Reddit, you'll see what the philosophy is there. It's all about just two, a bunch of degenerate gamblers uh, getting together to, to wallow in their losses and laugh at it. <laughs> I, I should have joined a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what else, uh, what other questions you got for us? Well, I was wondering, is there any such thing as buying an option with too long an expiration date? Obviously, 30 days or less than 30 days is too short. Is there any such thing as, as too long? I don't know that there's necessarily such thing as too long. I think what ends up happening is the, the price movements of today, when you have like a year on a contract, uh, have a much less effect on the actual price of that option, as opposed to one that's you know trading in that sweet spot of that 45 to 30 day. I wouldn't say there's never a reason to do it, but I wouldn't have any reason. I want things because I'm selling stuff. I want turnover. Uh, I don't want to be locked into something for a year before I see the results of it. And also the market tends to go up every year. <laughs> Fair point. That's a good point. Okay. You, know, you get years here and there, but I think what's the average growth rate? Like 12, 12%? And change almost thirteen. I've, I've, yeah, I've heard, the, I've heard the twelve percent number. I've heard anywhere, well, anywhere from eight to twelve. That depends on if you factor inflation into it, but yeah, uh, right. Yeah, it's a lot. I was wondering, is there any point where you decide just to cut your losses? How do you know when this trade is going south and there's no saving it? That's, I'm just going to abandon. I'm just going to unwind the thing and get out. That's one of the hardest things for me is is just giving up because once you lock in those losses. You know, it's not a loss or a win until you sell it, right? Right. So until you actually hit that sell button, it's not a loss mentally. And you know, it doesn't show up on your gains tracker. You don't have to enter it into your spreadsheet yet. For me, though, as you, if you're talking about options, you have such, a, such wild swings in them. I mean, they can change 50% a day. Uh, I think it really just comes down to did something in the underlying security change 
in your analysis? Did something make your initial thesis no longer relevant? Like with your GameStop puts, uh, about the time when it started shooting up was about the time when they announced Ryan Cohen leading a transition team to try to get them into um, the the online gaming industry or to shift to online. Right. Uh, that's a fundamental change in probably your analysis of the company as a whole, right? Sure, different business strategy. Right. It's going to have to so, on the security. So for me, that's one of the main things I look at. Probably should have a hard set limit, but with options, it's a lot harder to do that, I think, just because they're so much more volatile. Uh, I don't know, Dan, what do you think? I think that uh, you should have your trading strategy set up before you're making your trades so you know what you're trying to do. Uh, I, for, for example, uh, like the, the wheel, I just sold some puts some $2 puts, and I was betting that they would expire worthless. Three hours later after I sold them, the company, their, their stock price tanked from $5.15 down to under 2 and I sold $2 puts. I didn't actually want 100 shares. I was trying to just sell puts that would expire worthless. So <laughs> that, uh, that trade right now has lost me about 10%. I'm getting out of it on Monday as fast as I can. Not because it hit a specific number, but because it's not doing what I wanted it to do in my strategy. So it's a, it, it's, it's a bust. It's a loss. But again, uh, too, that one, that specific trade, something fundamental changed with the business. Uh, yes, I think it did. in that case, the, the drug that everyone was excited about showed up as like no statistical improvements are, are not viable. Uh, if you're talking about a pharmaceutical company, that's, yeah, that's not good for them. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard. You talk to people who are like day trading, um, they like to have like, a, I think, a 10, 15 rule where you cap your losses at 10% and you exit point on the gain side is at 15% and you try to do more wins than losses okay. or even if you're 50 50 then you're still making five percent right but it's hard uh just because they move so much and i'm assuming you don't want to be a day trader right well no, who am i kidding no that that would be a disaster <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe i just thought i just considered it for a split second and then rationality kicks back in <laughs> what are you nuts yeah, what are you nuts? <laughs> what's yeah have you heard that statistic the amount of successful or people who are successful at day trading no i haven't uh, somewhere like between five and two percent. Wow! Wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, not okay. my not my kind of game. Um, so so generally, you know, I when I first started this this, I, I wanted like a hard percentage number, like okay, if it if it's down fifteen percent, that's when I'll back away, like whatever I'm doing. Uh, but now for me, uh, I like I I I have I have a set plan. Um. Uh, in you know play, playing the wheel, uh, I end up I can calculate my my set my gains up to like okay I've got a max gain like here, and and here's the point where I where I start you know I break even and would start to lose, uh, the, and like like the IDRA like the moment it goes wrong okay I'm out and then I'll calculate the loss I'm not I'm not looking at the percentage uh, until after I put it in that spreadsheet but uh, it's as, as Kyle's saying, it can be the hardest thing to do to, because look at IDRA, that's, I've got till April 16th, that thing, I could, I could get out of it this trade and in two weeks, it could. It, could, it could be right back up to 515. But now you're thinking about, now you're thinking of it in the wrong way, right? You're not thinking of it like the insurance salesman. Now you're thinking like the gambler. Now I'm thinking like a gambler and I'm not an insurance salesman. As an insurance salesman, I went, oh, that contract went bad. Get rid of it. 
um, because something fundamentally changed about the business. It's, it's now, yeah, like I'm the insurance company. I gave somebody health insurance and the next day they're like, oh, I didn't tell you I had lung cancer. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm getting out of there. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, 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 I'm out, I'm out. <laughs> you got me, here's your money. Oh, yeah, you got me. <laughs> Let me find a better candidate. <laughs> well, that makes sense. When there's new information, you should always reconsider the plan. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I've heard people talk about is just having your strategy in place. Uh, the exit strategy is the big one. Exit strategy mm -hmm. is not only for when you're losing, but also an exit strategy from when you're winning. Well, that's what I do. Uh, yeah. My friend from Toastmasters always puts in um, sell orders for market on close. Mm -hmm. but, it, but if it's the last day, if it is you know, the 11th business day of the month or the fourth business day of the month, then it's time to get out. I just look at where I am. And if the market will open up big, mm -hmm. then I'm just going to get out now and, and take what I got. And that can be 15% because yeah. you know, usually market can open big at 930, but by 10, it's already given back some of those gains. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you've noticed too, uh, with the options contracts, uh, that first hour of trading seems to be the most erratic as far as the price swings. Yeah. Uh, it's not towards till the end of the day when they've kind of stabilized and found their, their range that they want to move in. That's yeah. another reason why it's hard to set stop losses on them because they could hit that in the first one. If some idiot, you know, puts in a market buy and there's a huge spread on it. Mm -hmm. I, I have it. Usually sometimes I will, let me ask you this. Do you guys ever double down if a trade starts going south? Because I've done that and, and sometimes it even works. I have opened down and it starts to recover some of those losses. I have, uh, but I've had points where I wanted to and I didn't and it would have worked. And I've had some that I've tried it and it didn't work. <laughs> I think, Dan, you've you've doubled down on uh, was it your was that your MJ trade? Oh, my. OK, so, yes, my MJ calls at the beginning of the year. Uh, right before uh, the excitement in the marijuana industry of the Georgia special elections when that went to two Democrats, there was the, mm -hmm. a huge pot rally around that news. Um, and leading right up before that, uh, I, I had had these uh, naked MJ calls I was buying and it kept going down and it was, they were down to like 18 cents a contract and I, I sold stuff i shouldn't have sold and dumped it in there because i because just because i was like no it's going back up i believe i believe oh. i believe and uh, uh it, it happened to actually work that time and uh that news came out and then they they all shot up and i made a ton of money um but that's looking at it now uh there 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 are there are some scenarios where i don't know i don't know it feels it, like a gambling I, thing it feels like a gambling thing and and it's like like it, 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 when I'm looking at it, like an insurance agent, like it's it's uh, you know you can ask the insurance agent double down. Like what does that mean? Here's the question you have to ask yourself: Did did your thesis change? Is your thesis wrong, or do you still believe it to be correct? Right, like in those MJ calls, I I still believed my thesis was correct, right. and these these stocks are going up as a whole for the whole year on average. Mm -hmm. But I don't I don't think there's a uh, anything in my current trading style and trading the wheel where I would be doubling down. Um, I don't, I don't, it, it, it just, it does like, they don't, they don't fit. The one for me would be like Virgin Galactic, but because that's just because I have high conviction that once that test flight happens, that they're going to be uh, uh, shooting upwards. Okay. 
So give me an example of Virgin Galactic going down and doubling down. Do, do you, are you going to buy more calls? Are you going to sell a call spread? I would probably buy another call spread if they dropped again. Yeah? Yeah. But that's just because I have conviction in my thesis. My, the, the reason that I made the trade hasn't changed yet. If news came out that that test fight was not going to happen in May, uh, then I would have to get out and eat the loss. Hmm. But I also haven't committed too much capital into it yet either. I mean, there's a difference between doubling down and going all in. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, yes. So you gotta, you also have to look at how much you've allocated as far as what you've, you know, how, how weighted are you on that one bet? Is that one bet going to break you or ruin your year? Uh, if that's the case, then yeah, don't double down on it. <laughs> I wish I talked to you guys a year ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, we weren't doing this a year ago. We yeah, we didn't. would have gotten some. Yeah, we would have given you terrible <laughs> advice a year ago. I wouldn't be praying to the end of the world now. now to make money back on my foot. <laughs> Live and learn. Live and learn. Uh, well, that's what we're trying to do, right? That's right. We're all just trying to learn. Absolutely. Um, power. God, yeah, I don't know that we're gonna have a hard time fitting in uh, discussions on the, uh, the the terms and all that in this. Dan, this ended up going longer and better than I thought. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's what happens. You get to talk. This might have to be its own standalone. Um, and then uh, I believe you had one, one last question. Yes. Uh, are there any advantages to exercising an option rather than just unwinding the trade? Yes. Um, there's several cases. Do you mean by unwinding the trade, do you mean letting it, uh, it expire? Or, or just selling back the option that you bought or vice versa? Okay. So do you, would, the options that you trade in sounds like they have good volume most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. If you're doing mostly market indexes, yes. Uh, if you're starting to trade on some things that have less volume, uh, the closer you get towards that expiration, like uh, the the day of, you'll actually see that the price you get is less than what the shares are trading at sometimes. So in that scenario, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just exercise it and then put a sell order in and just sell it right off the bat. Or sometimes oh. I'll sell them short before the case and lock in that profit and then just exercise them uh, you know, at my convenience. Okay. So as you get closer to expiration, there can be a a delta between the, the actual share price and, and, and the value and of I th- the I think option. what's okay. going on with that is that like especially if it's like a you know fifty or hundred dollar stock and you have options in them, uh, not a lot of people carry, you know, ten grand in their account that are speculating on these things in order to actually exercise their position. So I think that's the institutions trying to take advantage of the people that have to exit because they cannot afford to execute the trade. Gotcha. Okay. Um, there's another scenario and that's when uh, dividends are coming. Um, oh, yes. If you want to make sure that you get your shares before the, the ex dividend date, uh, sometimes you'll get your shares called away early. Okay, fair point. I hadn't considered that, but you're right. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's another scenario that I've actually used. Um, some like if, sometimes I uh, play options around, or I used to play options around earnings dates, thinking that there's going to be an outsized move on uh, when mm-hmm. somebody reports. Uh, those earnings usually come out in you know after hours. You right. can't trade your options then, but I don't know how many times I've seen a stock price shoot up uh, as soon as the announcement comes out and then start tapering away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan, you just saw that with Sundial. Just happened to me. <laughs> so I've actually also sold short sold shares that I had calls on in after hours because I can't do anything with my options contract in order to lock in the gains at that point. Ah, okay. So in that case, you'd have to exercise in order to unwind that position. But uh, that's that's another way that you can kind of get around not being able to trade them. So there, there's definitely times where it's better to exercise. But for the most part, you're usually giving away some premium. Right. And okay. and it's usually better just to buy the shares than sell the contract uh, if you really wanted to actually own them. Because you can, right. 
I mean, it may not be much, but you're going to get a little bit out of it most of the time. Okay, good to know. Uh, all right. So, uh, thank you so much for being with us here in the, the shop today, uh, Chris. Is there, there any, before we go, is there any place you want to point the listeners to so they can learn more about you? Sure. They can check out my YouTube channel, Christopher Borman Speaks, and that's Borman with two O's. And we'll put links to that in the episode description. All right. All right. Fantastic. You want to promote your, uh, your Toastmaster Club? Uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> I uh, belong to the Cigna Toastmasters in Bloomfield, Connecticut. So stop on by, check us out if you're in the area. I think we have some listeners in that area. So yeah, check them out. Yeah, yeah. Toastmasters, good stuff. Good stuff. Public speaking. Uh, I've, I've known a few people that, that Toastmasters has helped them just be, be better uh, public not not just like public speaking in in terms of giving a speech, but just being in public and engaging with strangers. I can't recommend it enough. It certainly helped me. Yeah, yeah. All right, fantastic stuff, folks. I hope uh, I hope you all learned a little bit about options today. We're going to go ahead and close up the shop, and uh, you just want to remind you that uh, we love you very very much, and we're glad you're here. And uh, if you could, and if you love us back, just take a minute and like and share, rate us uh, on the social medias. Uh, and, and give it, you know, we, we adore your feedback with your phone calls at 725-22-BULLS, emails to bulls at financialaptitude.com. And uh, until next time, happy trades. Bye, folks. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.